Anybody out there? Can you hear the sounds? Is there anybody listening to what's going Good morning, people. Howdy. Howdy doody. Howdy doody doody. How are you, Miss Sukanya? I am doing really well. How are you? I'm doing very well. I do not feel terribly shaken, maybe a little stirred after this eventful week. Yes, I would say that as well. Yep. So welcome to Simber Dialogues. I'm your host, Sukanya. And the other host, Darrell. And I hope that you have already guessed what our topic of discussion is this week. Well, we kind of alluded to it at the end of the last episode, didn't we? Well, it's for the first-time listeners here. Well, I suppose. Uh, hopefully we have a lot of them. But before we get to the meat of the show, how was your last week? Um, last week was actually, um, I would say, different. Yeah? How's that? Um, you know, there were a lot new developments in my personal life front and you know kind of seeing the world with a new perspective is very helpful uh, it takes you out of the rut and kind of pushes you forward and we also had a very interesting week because we watched uh one two three four five six seven seven <laughs> bond movies that was unintentional actually but that fits the number, doesn't it? It does. Hmm. That's accidental. Hmm. That was just me picking out good movies. Interesting. Yeah. How was your week? Pretty much the same. I'd go to work, and then we would squeeze in time to watch another Bond film, because as people may know, Bond films are not short. Most of them are two-hour-plus adventures, and when you're working a full-time job, especially second shift, it's of hard to find time to squeeze it in there so i think we had some nights where we'd watch half of a movie and then finish it the next day which i wouldn't say is the optimal way of watching a film any film um but we did it in a week span we watched seven james bond films and that's seven more films i mean the only one out of that group that i watched in its entirety prior was the last one so technically, pretty much six new, five and a half-ish new... I mean, you did watch um, GoldenEye, didn't you? I watched it in bits on TV. But you played the video game. I played the video game a lot more than I ever watched the movie. So I think this is the full time I've watched it completely from beginning to end, not just catching it on the TV channel. Mm-hmm. And then they keep interluding with commercials. and. Yeah, that's very annoying. Yeah, I don't miss that. Me neither. But, all right, well, we must just jump right into it because we got a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. All right, so what was the first movie that we watched? Uh, is this Trivia Night? Yes. Why are you asking me questions? We both know what movie we We watched. both watched it, but you need to tell me. We watched From Russia With Love. Starring my man. Sean Connery. Mr. Harry Chest. Ugh. Ugh. That's like the first thing I noticed. I wonder if that was... Hey, that was like the, the sexiest thing back then. That like was men, in Vogue. Yeah, that was in Vogue. Yeah. Men with hairy chests. You need to be, you know, that burly, macho of a guy to wet 
the panties of the women of the ah. ages. Reminder, this show is explicit, not for children. <laughs> um, before we get into the actual details of the movie, I, that's, I'm glad you're bringing that up about In Vogue with Harry Chess. It's like this exploration of these Bond films is, wasn't just uh, a retrospective on Bond itself, but since this was such a pop cultural phenomenon, every time one of these came out, in a way it was a bit of a time capsule for the mentality of the day or historically what may have been going on and what they were trying to distract themselves from. So it's just kind of cool to see these movies within the historical context and just how they evolved over time and how really the, the Bond character was treated by his people around him. Like as we notice in later movies, his behaviors weren't always as acceptable as they were in the earlier films. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it I, definitely, you know, gives a lot of insight into how people behaved back in those days and what was normalized what what wasn't i mean there were some good things too like you could see the way people talked to each other or interacted with each other was with a lot of very uh, polite polite yes for sure uh less aggressive in a lot of ways uh but also the something that was very alarming was how and I'm going to bring this up because, you know, watching it from a women's perspective is very different from watching it, you know, from a man's perspective. So when I watched the earlier Bond movies, I felt <laughs> a lot of it was, okay, trigger alert, sexist. Uh, you know, as you know, like, I, I am all for um, equal rights. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, pound my chest and say I'm a feminist in any sense. But that movie was like the first couple movies were very jarring for me uh, as a woman and how, you know, the portrayal of women were in those movies. <laughs> it was not happy. I'm sure like the feminists out there, you'll be very pissed <laughs> watching this. I'm sure even the feminists of the day probably were not fans of James Bond. So that kind of represented everything about the quote unquote patriarchy that they were trying to fight against. And uh, so just two things I want, I'll, I'll bring up. Uh, first point, if there's anything to be really offended about with these films, I just find it kind of interesting that people would jump on the, look how he treats women. All right, that's our cats in the background fighting. Don't worry. No uh, animals injured during the making of this podcast. And it looks <laughs> like the fight's over because the culprit is walking away. To his food bowl. Yes. Um, so the two points I want to make, if the most offense you're going to take from a movie or, or series of movies in which the main protagonist is treating its women, which I should probably just throw in as a reminder that our main protagonist is uh, essentially a mass killing legal serial killer that kills for a living. That's his job. He murders without remorse. And often there's innocence that innocent people that are killed as bystanders throughout these movies or some actions where i'd see james bond just drop a bunch of steel girders or maybe blow up some semi trucks these are probably just people coming to work punching in the clock punching out just hourly workers kills them doesn't blink an eye but we'll jump on oh look he met a woman five minutes ago now they're in bed it's like well what about the guy he just blew his brains out what about him he has a family he has kids probably <laughs> 
Um, and secondly, I found it was interesting. All right, I, I will agree it was a bit jarring seeing how Sean Connery treated the women in the first two movies. It just felt too quick from the moment he met someone to next they were shacking up. But compare that to Roger Moore and in the 70s. Felt like he was fucking every woman that he came across in that movie. And Wasn't like the 70s, uh, the whole era of free, free love? Lo- yes. Yeah. But I, I, I was just bringing that up in comparison because I feel like Sean Connery's a saint compared to what Roger Moore was doing in the 70s. Um, you know, the, what, the funniest thing is that for the first couple movies, I don't think there were too many casualties like random people being killed. It wasn't too much of that. No. It was more like, you know, um, it was more... Uh, there was that one scene I remember, <laughs> and it's kind of fucked up, but... So a spoiler for one of the movies we're going to talk about? Uh, not not really a spoiler. I mean, it's just a part of the movie, okay. but you know, doesn't really give you the ending or anything. Uh, but there was a one scene where he Bond was in that gypsy camp, Oh. And there were like two girls yeah. fighting over. Uh, they wanted to wed the, the guy, the man. and so they had to fight to the, de- or I don't know, to the death, but whatever that was. And then uh, there was some, I think there was like an attack on the base or something, and Sean, uh, Sean Connery uh, Bond uh, saves the day or saves the night, I guess. And um, what happens is what's given as a gift to Sean Connery. Uh, is you know those two girls who are fighting over the man of the leader of the tribe or whatever, and Sean Connery instead of just choosing one chooses both of them and did they shows- do a hmm? He did like a, the Witcher. I I, I thought he kind of hmm like in the very Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so I I think I think I get your point, DJ, when you're saying that oh there were so many casualties like innocent men dying. And stuff. Not just but, men, but yeah. but you know, like innocent people dying. But think about this: those characters, you don't see them. They don't have screen time as much screen time, obviously, because they're being blown up. But most men would look at Bond and model themselves after him. But there is no female protagonist out there, or even any side character. That women can look at and think that, oh, okay, you know, I kind of relate to that person. But it's more like all these women in the movies were as like either as pawns or sex objects. And I don't know how women felt back in those days, how little girls, I mean, I hope little girls didn't watch this movie. But even growing up, if you watch this movie and think about, you know, look at it. And if that's like pop culture, if that's the reflection of, uh, of society, I mean that must have been a very sad time to live in. Yeah, I can't necessarily even disagree with you on that. Um, one thing I did find interesting, though, and we'll jump into from Russia with love, talk a little more in detail on that. One thing I did find it interesting about a lot of the Bond girls that you're talking, they referred to them as Bond girls in these movies. Compare that to maybe a typical woman in like an old John Wayne film, which they literally had no. I'm sure they had virtually no role at all in the movie. The one thing I at least appreciated through most of these movies, the female characters weren't entirely one-dimensional. For the, like, it seemed like it got better mm-hmm. through the later films. Absolutely. But they were they were actually still competent. Yes, they did absolutely. have sex with Bond often. No, absolutely. I feel like so later w- on in the later series, if you see 
there's this huge evolution of the female characters and you see like you know they're not just these sex objects but they are pretty badass as well yeah yeah so i mean i'm i'm completely okay with like the later movies i think they were it was a much better uh, depiction of both the genders if you want to call it that or uh, but the earlier bond movies are a, a disappointment maybe i mean we'll explore this but i think even in the earlier movies even though they were definitely still very sexist in their portrayal they still made the characters still somewhat more than one dimensional they could have easily just threw like what they did in austin powers that would have been but a, that was a parody I, of the I, I, pond movies but those women oh actually even uh, austin powers still had women yeah they were sex objects but they were also often has some specialty in, in doing something other they're badass fighters themselves. Maybe they were double agents. Maybe they were, there was something else to their character other than just, Oh, please bond. Now move on. Like there was, there was something else going on there. We can still argue about the, but okay. Think about it this way, DJ. If bond was a female character, right. And this woman was going around shacking up with different guys. How would that be? She should be doing that because she's a sociopathic serial killer and has no family. She has no family outside of that. Same with Bond. He has no family, no friends. This is the only connection that these agents get out on the field. I would fully expect them to indulge in sexual pleasures while they're in the middle of work. They have nothing else going on. It's, it's basic human psychology. And if I would even push it one step further, you could argue that if they didn't engage in sexual intimacy with people this is the only time bond kind of lightens up a little bit that would destroy any sort of human connection they have and turn them into just a monstrous killing machine that might be the only thing that's kind of keeping them well i would rather have bond you know be as ruthless as john wick than bond you know because i'm saying like john wick had say a family and dogs and whatever and after that he just became this this psycho killing yeah. machine you know i would expect that with bond rather with like you know I, I, and this is a spoiler alert like you know in the later movies when uh his very close relative let me say it we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to the spoiler details but you know what i mean is that it was it bond was not exactly like this you know badass killing machine but it was more about this idea people had like men had of themselves back in the day like oh i'm going to be an agent i'm going to like do some some badass things and also get a lot of women and wear expensive suits and drink a lot and you know have this swag about myself but also like bang a lot of women i mean if you're doing a very reductionist view of bond the bond characters throughout the movies i could see that being an argument not not in the later movies though later movies i felt even, there even was the a earlier lot movies more... with connery i would say the only one that didn't really apply to is probably more roger moore seemed to be the caricature but all the Bond characters were deeply flawed individuals. They weren't, they weren't, I don't think any of them were portrayed as these perfect, flawless individuals. You, ha- you don't have to. That's like my point. You know, you like, don't have to. But, 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 no, 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 no. I see what you're doing, though. You're 
taking the perception people have of the movie rather than what the character was itself. No, 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 absolutely not. I yeah. feel Sean Connery and Roger Moore, both of them, their portrayal of Bond was more like, you know, the pop culture macho thing than, uh, say, George Lazenby or Timothy Dalton or, uh, you know, um, Daniel Craig. A little bit, but maybe we'd have to go back and watch the Connery ones. I don't, I don't know. I didn't feel like Connery's portrayal of it was. I think grossly it was more, o- more like kind of goofy and like Roger it, Moore's. I I agree. Even Sean Connery was pretty goofy too, and you know, it, it was kind of lighthearted rather than a very you know serious spy film. Well, it's. I mean that. Okay, compare it. Compare it to. Uh, Timothy Dalton's movie. Oh, those are different. Definitely different movies. It and was the characters, more the characters. Oh, it was definitely more intense. And we'll, we'll get can, we'll, can, we'll get to that when we get to the see, license to kill. You can see like the very juvenile way of filmmaking. That's a different. First. That's something else I would like to get into because we were watching movies from different eras that you could clearly see uh, from a cinematography standpoint, just the way they film scenes and dialogue and even, even acting re- re- standpoint like honestly a little bit yeah on like you know portrayal of bond in like you know the later movies acting wise was so much not roger moore but you know so much yeah. better than the first couple movies that we watched from the yeah, early naturally years. but we have to judge a movie too within its time period and compare it to other stuff of the era you can't compare it it'd be like comparing well yeah, this uh, movie from 2018 is so much better than something from 1945. Oh, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you can't do a fair critique that way. It has to be compared to what was the what was the popular thing of the day. I I get it, yeah. but I'm saying if we are gonna compare the bonds and see which is a better bond to watch, I would definitely not suggest the very earlier bonds. Eh, I wasn't gonna do a comparison of that nature, but yeah. All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree, and maybe maybe I'll convince you otherwise by the end of the thing. So, all right. From Russia with Love, 1963 was the first movie, and the basic plot was uh, it was a, it was actually the second in the James Bond series produced by EON Films. They produced all of the EON uh, productions. They were produ- they produced all of the Bond films except for one, which was a remake of Thunderball, which also featured Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the plot here? Basic plot. He was just seeking revenge against MI6 agent 007 for the death of their agent, Dr. No in Jamaica. That was the previous movie. Um, international crime criminal organization Spectre begins training agents to kill him. Irish assassin Dan- Donald Red was this Grant. the first movie? The, the first the one blonde? we watched, The Blonde. The first, no, the From Russia was the second oh, okay. movie. Yeah. What was the first, first Doctor Bond? No. Doctor No. Doctor No. Um, proves himself qu- by quickly killing a fake Bond with a garrote. That was the, the metal wire uh, concealed in his wristwatch during training. And pretty much Bond is sent out to meet with a Russian defective defector agent because she had the, uh, the lector. It was that looked like a briefcase. Yeah. And... Uh, as their cryptography device from the Soviets to lure Bond from to his assassination, so they sent the defector out to try to capture Bond, but she eventually falls in love with him, and or at least changes her has a change of heart as it goes on. Um, but what was interesting, this movie only had a two million dollar 
production budget. I mean, back in the day, two million was a lot of money. You know how much it made? How much? Seventy-nine. Well, I can see that. Which is percentage-wise far more than really any of the later Bond films. Uh, compare that to Casino Royale, which we just watched, which had a hundred fifty million dollar budget and only made six hundred sixteen million. Yeah. So just like that's what four times as much from Russia. That's almost forty times as much. Mm-hmm. From that standpoint, it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Um, Bernard, is this the one that had Q, the same Q guy? Mm-hmm. Or did he come in later? Uh, I think it was a different guy. All right. So we obviously had Sean Connery as James Bond. You had Pedro Armendariz as the head of MI6 Station T in Istanbul. He was not, that was not M. That was the... That was the other guy. Yeah. The who facility. had, like, so many children. Did like he have every, a every, Everyone he employed was his was his son. That's really weird. Yeah. He banged That's... everyone in Istanbul. <laughs> was, uh... Oh, this must be the Bond girl. Daniela Bianchi. Yeah. Is a Tatiana Romanov. Romanova. Romanova. Yeah. She was a Soviet consulate clerk in Bond's love interest. Of course, every... Uh, Bernard Lee was M, the chief of British intelligence. I think he stayed in that role until uh, much later. Mm-mm. Who else am I missing? Oh, Money Penny. She was Lois Maxwell. She was Money Penny until 1989. Wow. So I think all the way through Timothy Dalton's second movie, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy because anyone that's watched any of the James Bond movies, there's always this weird tension between Money Penny and Bond. It's like. They really want. They flirt with each other so much, yeah. but it's like she actually likes him, and he kind of just seems to get his way just, by flirting just, with yeah, her. Yeah, he just flirts with her. Yeah, but at least it's mutual, I guess. It's not. It's not like he's forcing his will upon her, and she's yep. like, "Oh, don't do it to me." She's she's pretty much fawning over him half the time. Oh, how was the meeting? <laughs> um, I don't know. So, what do you think about this movie? Well, I, I don't think... I feel like the plot was okay. Um, it felt pretty basic compared to Bonds yeah, in general. Yeah, it was yeah simple. Uh, there weren't too many suspense involved in that. Uh, they had... It was definitely very diverse, I would say, character-wise, because they were in Istanbul, and then they went to, I think, Switzerland or somewhere... And right, no, I, yeah, I think Switzerland, and they had that train ride all the way through. So it was it was pretty diverse, I would say. Um, but again, the plot was very razor thin. Yeah, that's it, it. Felt like an old spy thriller from those days. It wasn't like clearly. Was they, it a thriller though? Because or I was, mean, like a spy movie. I shouldn't yeah, say a thriller. It's not a thriller. It, it, it felt like an old style, almost Hitchcockian spy movie it could have you know very much been a black and white movie honestly yeah (laughs) it kind of had some noir vibes to it Uh, you could tell they didn't have the 007 tropes that we came to know and love and almost uh, hate in later movies where it just got too redundant he was sean connery wasn't over the top i have to give him that he was he was pretty uh a smooth guy yeah he was pretty I guess mellow in his character, but he wasn't like the over the top Bond that we see later, you know. Uh, but 
the action sequences were very yeah. lame. Sean Connery can't fight. He can't no. at all do any kind of action. So, you know, but again, I think fight choreography wasn't a huge thing that back was, then as well. Yeah, we noticed. I mean, I don't, I don't even really think the fight choreography improved that much until probably the 80s. Yeah. And even then, it, it got so much better by the time the 2000s rolled around. Um, I think it was just an era in which they didn't hire actual martial artists or people who did this for a living to actually choreograph these fights. They probably just had directors and people on set to be like, oh, this looks cool, do this. And I, I know a lot of times actors would just come up with stuff as well. Which isn't good. Yeah, there's a reason why you call it choreography. It's not. It's an art. It's. I, I I don't know. You can't just hey throw a punch here, kick this, flip this table. All right, maybe throw this person out the window. Yep. Um, that definitely felt corny from that angle. But what you were saying about Connery, I did appreciate because uh, it. I don't know. It felt like a breath of fresh air seeing a different portrayal of Bond that wasn't just the the quirky, goofy character type that we. I mean, Pierce Brosnan eventually became in later his later iterations, where it's just like every time he did something, he had stupid one-liner that felt out of place. Connery did have his one-liners, but it kind of rolled off his tongue like fine wine. Didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just he's just a cool character. Or he's a cool. He has a cool personality that just oozes into Bond. And... He, I would definitely say he was probably very well suited for the character. Mm-hmm. You know, because. He was exactly what one, what one was supposed to be, like a gentleman, yeah. but you know has his dubious ways and yes. also very smooth talking. You know, have has this swag about him, mm-hmm. um, like this. I don't know, like like there's more to his like character. A charming British guy. Yeah, he could have just been a murdering agent, but he wasn't. There's definitely more to his character. It's kind of neat. Um, couple critiques I had, and then maybe this is just due to the low budget. I felt like they way overused the... They definitely didn't hire a good music director. I mean, I don't know how much money they... Or a background score person. Yeah, I don't know how much money they threw at him, but like there was a scene when he was just going through his hotel room looking for secret recording devices, and they were playing this theme in the background. And I'm thinking, the only time this theme was ever used in the later movies was at the intro... And then usually towards the conclusion when he's doing all the James Bond shit. Mm-hmm. Not throughout the movie. It was supposed to designate like big moments. Mm-hmm. Not just walking in your hotel. And uh, that, that kind of bugged me. And maybe if they could rescore the movie, that probably wouldn't be as jarring. Mm-hmm. Like I think they improved that quite a bit by Goldfinger as far mm-hmm. as the music was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I felt like it was a tad overrated. It was... I mean, it was cool watching that movie. It didn't feel like I was watching... Uh, a James Bond movie, honestly. Uh, no, I wasn't going to say that, but for it being almost 60 years old, it was, I still felt like it was a fairly watchable film. Yeah. Like, it was still decently well-made. Mm-hmm. Like, some other movies from that era, like the old westerns, when it's... Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And for this being a pop culture movie, it could have been... I, I think it could have been a lot worse given the time. All right. Anything else you want to say about it before we move on to our next one? Uh, I do like the, the opening s- sequence they had for the credits and stuff, which was pretty mm. cool. Um, they had the 
projection on the body of the yeah. girls dancing like though i don't approve of that but i guess you know it's it's the time that that we're talking about but it was a cool concept at least of the projections on the and i'm sure it was probably a very novel idea back then i'm sure and uh if old dudes have any excuse to get women undressed and put them on camera they'll probably find a way to do it so i mean you, I'm can, sure. you can see the reflection of you know, the old school mentality of Hollywood, too. Mm-hmm. These are all Weinstein types. <sighs> yeah. Very scummy. That's what it was. Things are changed. Or things have changed quite a bit. Yep. Some things probably haven't changed. Uh, but anyways, on to our next movie, Goldfinger, which was made a year later. Okay, Goldfinger. I honestly, I don't know why this movie is such highly rated. But I feel, I well, I kind of see, I kind of see why because it was, it had those extended, you know, uh, scenes of uh, the what do you call it, the Fort Knox being blown up and all those stuff, which was probably a really cool idea back then. But I just felt it was dragged out way too much. Uh, so Goldfinger supposedly was like the one of the most evil villains in the whole Bond. Uh, universe but i was not convinced that he was the most evil villain in the whole bond universe he was like okay it was more of a character i i, I don't know I, I i just didn't i just didn't feel that it was that engaging i yeah i agree i definitely agree um i think maybe this is one of those movies that was glorified in retrospect or i shouldn't say in retrospect but because it established so many of the things people came to know and love in the later Bond films where From Russia With Love didn't really. That movie just felt more like a spy movie. This is like the first Bond movie Mm -hmm. where you had the Aston Martin introduced. Mm -hmm. You had the gadgets starting to creep in more into the movie. Mm -hmm. You had the cartoonish supervillain with his even more cartoonish bodyguard and odd job. Yeah. Oh, Uh, yeah. Actually, I guess it'll probably become more of a cult movie because of odd job and then i think we had pussy galore as well right she was the other henchman yeah. who was also a star pilot her nice pilot why it just blows my mind like a female character why would you call it pussy galore i think that was her show name because she had a circus it was called pussy galore's flying circus so maybe that was her I don't know. Maybe it was just for marketing. It was like, it's a cheap laugh. You know, that's what you're getting out of it. It's not even, you know, intelligent. <laughs> it's just, just like, oh, ha, 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 so funny. <laughs> All right. So here's some history. They were talking about pussy galore. Um, so apparently they had a trend in Bond movies to make the Bond girl names or these girls names double entendres which is a figure of speech, particularly particular way of wording that is devised to be understood in two ways, uh, having a double meaning. So, like, they thought of actually changing her name to Kitty Galore. Uh, but... <laughs> oh, okay, so the reason why they did change it to Kitty Galore. If you were a 10-year-old boy and knew what the name meant, you weren't a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> you were a dirty little bitch. <laughs> The American censor was concerned, but we got round that by inviting him and his wife out 
uh, to dinner and told him that we were big supporters of the Republican Party. <laughs> All right. Now, I appreciate that name a lot more because uh, the fact that they got that through the censors. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Uh all right. Oh, this is even better. During promotion, Blackman took delight in embarrassing interviewers by repeatedly mentioning the character's name. Whilst the American censors did not interfere with the name in the film, they refused to allow the name Pussy Galore to appear on the promotional materials. And for the U.S. market, she was subsequently called Miss Galore, or Goldfinger's personal pilot. Of course, Sounds like the they Puritan were... Americans. All right. Do you appreciate that a little bit more? Like they were just <laughs> fucking with the American... Uh, Puritanism. Well, kind of, but you know, even then, like, why, why wasn't a man named, I don't know, Long Dick, or Dick Long, or whatever, you know? It's not as funny as Pussy. Well, it, it is. It is Dick funny. Dick Long, is it? Yeah, it Dick. is funny. Dick Long. Richard Long. Sometimes yeah. you see that in the, the fucking guy's name that's making the movie's last name is Broccoli. I don't know. I don't know. It would be interesting to get a long-form interview as to why they make such these weird sexual names for the characters. What was the one name in Goldeneye? On a top? On a top. I mean, that's not... I mean, I guess that isn't very sexual. It's not It's not the most over-the-top, but clearly it means yeah. on like on the top or yeah. like sexual reference that way. Um. But all right, so we already kind of got through some of the characters. You have Pussy Galore, you have Orc Goldfinger. Joel Masterson was the Bond girl. She was the blonde. Mm. She kind of established that trope for blonde women, I guess, of the 60s. So you can kind of blame her for that. Shirley Eaton is her name. Uh, who else? Harold Sakata as Odd Job. That was definitely his star role for his career. Mm. He, didn't, did he, he didn't have a single dialogue in that no. movie. No, he, he's not an actor. He was actually a... Wrestler, right? He is an Olympic silver medalist weightlifter. Oh, weightlifter. Yeah. So Hamilton called Sakata an, quote, absolutely charming man <laughs> and found that he had a very unique way of moving. So in creating an odd job, he used all of Harold's own characteristics. Probably why he was so natural for it. Just kind of mm -hmm. walked very stiff with his arms. Had the stupid ass smile on his face all the time. I'm gonna get you, motherfucker. <laughs> and he had that fucking metal rimmed hat that he could just like, and he like chopped the statue's head off at the beginning. Yep. Uh, Desmond Lewin does Q. Was this the first movie he was in? I think so, yep. Maybe? No. Oh, no, he was in the previous. Yeah. And he, holy shit, he was in the next 16 Bond films as well. Wow. So it wasn't until uh, uh, Judy Dench, mm -hmm. Dame Judy Dench in Goldeneye, mm -hmm. that we uh, get a break from Desmond Lewin. But he was very good. No, not Q. I keep thinking M. Q was the... The old guy. The inventor dude. Yeah. I keep getting him confused. So he was in there for longer. Uh, where the hell's M? Uh, it doesn't matter. All right, so overall thoughts on the movie? Um, I mean... About the plot compared to From Russia, or... I mean, definitely the plot was a little bit more complex than From Russia with Love. Mm. It was actually grander, too, because they were trying to, uh, I guess, sabotage the whole gold market in the U.S. and, you know, get Goldfinger's 
um, gold, gold, what uh, bricks or whatever, like being sold at a higher price or something like that. It's pretty much trying to create a cartel, yeah, on the gold market by yeah. poisoning all of the yeah, yeah, like US some gold. radiation and stuff, you know. It would have made it radioactive for the, over the next fifty years, yeah. so they wouldn't be able to touch it. Yeah, I mean, I I see, you know, probably which year was it? Nineteen sixty-four. I guess that's like the whole, like, you know, the post-nuclear wars and stuff. So you know, that's I, right in the middle of it. Nineteen sixty-four. That's right in the middle of the Cold War. Not the Cold War. I'm talking about the World War II after the atomic yeah. bomb explosion and stuff. You know, all the the you know, I guess the residual uh, effects of that. You know, they were thinking of radioactivity and other stuff and uh, maybe included that in the f- movie which... that was that was still very prevalent though in the 60s mm-hmm. Don't you remember all those buildings where they have the fallout shelter yeah. logos mm-hmm. that wasn't just because of world war ii mm-hmm. that was a con there was a constant threat of nuclear war with russia mm-hmm. so this that was the era in which this was created yep so it makes more yeah. sense actually that was the same year uh, Lyndon Johnson famously did the Daisy ad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they had the countdown, and then there was a nuclear explosion at the end. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if that gives you any uh, inclination into the psyche of the day, that's yeah. probably a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely established tropes for the remaining films. Like, it, it created a, a solid formula from the intro sequence to just having the cartoonish villains to... Make it a little more over the top compared mm-hmm. to From Russia, where it was definitely a much stripped down plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could see why it's popular, but I probably wouldn't suggest it as the first Bond movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not into Bond, I don't think you'll enjoy this all that much. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't have much else to say about it. It is one of the most highly rated Bond films, but out of our list, it wasn't my favorite. Neither was mine. So, moving on to the next one, I guess. We have a new Bond actor, George Lazenby, in his only outing as Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. which was made in 1969. It was a slightly less successful movie than Goldfinger. It didn't gross as much, and it cost a little more. Like Goldfinger made $125 million on a $3 million budget. Uh, on Her Majesty only made... 82 million still pretty good on a seven million dollar budget clearly the enthusiasm was tapering off now I, I don't know how connery's successful films after goldfinger waged but uh this is what it is what do you think about this movie i think it was it was a fresh change uh from all the other movies that we've seen before this the character definitely has a lot more layers to it. Uh, the character of Bond. Uh, it's, you know, you see the uh, complexity of his character. It's not just, you know, this killing machine suave person. but Seems more vulnerable. Also very human. Yeah. You know, uh, which was really a nice change. He also brought up. A lot of the goofy nature of Bond as well, which wasn't there, I guess, in uh, Sean Connery's act. Yeah. So he was more. You could. You could. He was a likable Bond. That if 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 that makes sense. How about a better word? Relatable. Relatable. Like Bond. He was a little more human. I guess. Yeah. 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 So 
infamous kilt scene. Yes. Later. Yes, that was funny. I think a lot of people hated that, especially back then. Yeah. Yeah, but then he could take a joke on himself. And, you know, I, I think that was a really fresh change, a fresh perspective on Bond. Yeah. I, I'll say this movie, the intro sequence just captured me. It felt like they took a lot of inspiration from Hitchcock in the old noir films when they had the nice scene. I think they had the camera right behind him, and he had the bowler hat on. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see where he was driving in the car. It was just it's a nice enclosed shot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were playing that amazing, I love the theme from this movie. Mm -hmm. It's like the original James Bond theme, but they tweaked it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We'll play it right here so you can know what I'm talking about. Just a wonderful theme, and I don't, I don't know. It felt like they, they really stepped their cinematography game up with this movie, and the rest of the team didn't just rely on Sean Connery to carry it. Mm -hmm. yep. Uh, yep. I don't know. How do you feel about yeah. that? I think you know they had way more uh, new locations added to the movie, so I think it was more like on location that they shot rather mm -hmm. than just on set. Um, that might be because of the added budget as well. Probably. Uh, it was a lot more grander uh, action scenes, I think, was added. I think the whole ski thing was added here, too. That was pretty lengthy, too. Yes. They had a ski scene and then the bobsled scene, or is that in the later movie? That was in the later movie. Yeah, that wasn't there. Skiing I think was... became too damn common in later movies, but this is the first one, I think, at least that we watched. That had the skiing sequence. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't feel corny. It felt like they at least playing it out well right and then also you could tell here like bond was even when he was sleeping with multiple women you could tell that he was doing it for the sake of his job to f extract information and not just because you know just oh yeah i would just you know sleep around but it was you could tell that his loyalty still remained with the with the the red car the red car girl what was her name with the Bond girl for the movie? Oh, we should mention, she. we were introduced to her from the very first scene. He was chasing down this red car that passed him and found her on a beach. And she was being tracked down by some bodyguards. And then he kicked their ass and then she escapes. Mm -hmm. And like throughout the course of the movie, while he's doing his mission, she just randomly reappears. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like she was very independent, very strong-willed, 
very stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed to be the one using Bond rather than Bond using her. Mm-hmm. She would appear when she wanted him and then just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. She would help him, mm-hmm. but she just kind of did what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And very badass, like, for a character. He Like, she was there to save him from a lot of, uh, you know, unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Her name was uh, Countess Tracy de Vince, Vincenzo. Vincenzo? Vincenzo? Vincenzo. They do that in Italian with the C, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Diana Rigg. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. They describe her as the vulnerable countess in Mark Ainge's Draco's daughter who captures Bond's heart. And this was the first time you could see the weakness in Bond for a person. And you could just see the human connection there. Yeah. I know some people will take George Lazenby's performance as not being as strong maybe on his own as Sean Connery, but I enjoyed it. It did feel like there were some corny moments with his, what was his character when he was wearing the kilt? Like, Hillary. <laughs> Sorry, Hillary something. And he referred to himself Hilly. as Hillary. Hilly. I, I could see how people would take that. It's like, that's not, that's not something James Bond would do. But, I mean, it made the character his own, and I don't think any other Bond since has been like that. And this was also the first time we got introduced to Dr. Evil. <laughs> oh, my fuck. Yeah, I almost forgot about that. That He was a much more enthralling villain yes. than what I saw with Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Yeah, though that character was definitely memorable by his looks this character i didn't realize dr evil is literally based on this guy and i don't know if it was a direct reference but he he looked the part yeah and also he had the the whole uh petting of the cat thing was this the first one that no actually goldfinger had the petting of the cat okay that was the first one that we saw yeah that trope you see a lot in later movies Mm -hmm. not just in james bond but like so Side note, I love all of these references that we're discovering that became things in other movies that I didn't realize originated in Bond. It just kind of shows you the reach, the cultural reach that these movies had on the rest of society and the rest of film. And I mean, that's that's just showing respect to an industry or a, I, you don't copy something unless you really respect oh, what yeah. they did. So mm-hmm. that, that was really cool. Yeah. But this villain, villain, uh, what was his name? Uh, is it Blofeld? Yes, Bond's nemesis, uh, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. He was the Austrian, Austrian, yes, scientist. Blushamp, Blushamp. Yeah, he was hiding on the top of the Alps. It looked like they had like their own section reserved from the mm. ski resort, and they were blocking mm-hmm. people off from getting up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really cool fortress that he had. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see a movie with a ski scene that actually made sense. Like, obviously, you're going to incorporate skiing because that's the only way you're going to get away from this place. It's not just, oh, we're randomly up in the mountains now. I guess we should ski. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is literally where the movie was taking place. Um, what else? We still had Desmond Lewin as Q. Bernard Lee as M. Who is... Oh, I guess this was the main henchman in this one. Il Stapat, or Irma Bunt, the henchwoman who assists in... Frau? Is that Frau? Yeah! Yes. Yeah, she was in this too. Looked just like... I, I, 
I'm sure they they got all their inspiration from this movie because they probably figured not nearly as many people watched this Bond film. Yeah. But it was good. It's a very underrated movie in my mind. Yeah, I I think it was it was amazing. I really enjoyed this movie. Actually, honestly, one of the most enjoyable Bond movies that I have watched. Yeah, absolutely, and even that's despite the fact that there was all these. Uh, attractive women that Blofeld had up there. He was doing what tests on, claiming they that they had allergies. Had yeah, but he was pretty much just uh, turning them into his oh, what they call them, his angels of death. He was brainwashing them, and then would. It was like bio warfare that he wanted to start. Yeah. All right. So he was he got women from all over the world, and then when he activated them, they would release the virus whatever the virus was. Which uh, seemed a lot more notorious than what Goldfinger was doing in 1964. But again, you have to think why this movie didn't make a lot of uh, mark for itself because bio-warfare wasn't a huge thing back then. Now, in today's day and time, it is so relevant. You know, this is the only way of warfare. But back then, I think it was more about blowing shit up and throwing bombs and, you know, atomic warfare was a bigger thing than... Uh, bio warfare but it was way ahead of its time this yeah. movie for sure uh i don't know if i if i had to go back and recommend a movie for someone to start out and watch i, I would if i had to pick one from the 60s i'd almost suggest this one just uh it didn't feel it didn't feel as dated yeah. uh, the action sequences weren't completely terrible he felt a little more nimble than uh Sean Connery's oh, portrayal. For sure, yeah, for yeah. sure. One thing I have to mention, and I, I keep telling this every time we watch a new Bond movie that we've, we've watched last week, but you know how in the opening sequence, there's like Bond walks with his gun and then like points at the audience? Uh-huh. Out of all the Bonds, I think, uh, movie, this movie had the most impressive lunge shot where this the Bond like turns to the audience and yeah. he's in this... Uh, well, I'm I'm talking from the perspective of a movement artist. I think that was pretty cool compared to you know all the other opening sequences. I agree. Now, was that? Are we for sure? No. Do we know that that was actually him? I I, I think most of the time it's the Bonds who do it. So that I think someone might have mentioned that might have been Connery, or maybe he dressed himself up like Connery for it, just to kind of throw people off when they started the movie. Hmm. I don't know. But either way, yeah, it was definitely pretty good. But we can't end uh, our discussion on this movie without mentioning the tragic end of this film. Well, had the most shocking uh, end of any Bond movie. This movie went darker than, yeah, I agree. At that end, I'll let you detail what happened. Uh, it was so, I think, after defeating... Uh, Dr. Evil. Well, his name wasn't Dr. Blofeld. Evil. What? Blofeld. Blofeld. Um, they come back, the Countess and Bond, and they have this beautiful wedding, and they were about to leave for their honeymoon, and they were on their way to the honeymoon, and uh, Blofeld and... He was still alive. His... Henchman Frau. Frau. Uh, they just pass him on the car and he shoots at them and i think the beautiful sequence was like right before they got shot up 
they were like you know talking about how they want six children and how they have all the time in the world now to even you know think about family and i think he had already resigned from his post or something like that like he was he, probably if he didn't he was probably thinking about it yeah and then that he had all the time in the world to like spend with his newly wedded wife and out of nowhere uh the scientist and uh, frog comes and like shoots up the car oh. and you know somehow james manages to still be alive and he turns to his wife and sees that she has a bullet through her head uh, and then the policeman comes and asks like what's what's the problem because they were parked on the side of um, the highway it's and, probably the most heartbreaking thing that happened yeah like what he says i think he says said uh, uh as our, the officer came over and asked if everything was all right he said i think he said uh Oh, everything's going to be fine. Like we have he, he all was the like time pet- in the we have all the time in the world. And he's like petting her head, mm-hmm. and it's like that's that's fucking depressing. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think he's going to kill himself after this, or what? Like, did he just lose his fucking mind after opening his heart to someone finally? And yeah, that's holy shit. And then the credits just roll. There's no chance to decompress that before the movie ends mm-hmm. it's just that's how they end the movie mm-hmm. and i can see how it could have been really shocking and you know not uh i guess conclusive for a lot of people back then because it was more about you know how movies were made made back in the day was there has to be closure some sort of closure and a happy ending like oh the hero wins this and is not... the you know the villain is uh dead or you know kind of punished but there was it was just the other way around like the hero was punished and the villain escaped yeah yeah it definitely destroyed a lot of movie tropes at the day of the day and i i that's why i see i think it's you know it's not as popular i'm sure if this movie came out in 2020 and had the same plot and maybe updated action sequences and uh just updated dialogue and the cinematography is improved. I could absolutely see this plot becoming like a, an Oscar winner. Mm-hmm. Just with that kind of an ending. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, even movies today don't dare go there very often. Mm-hmm. The ones that do are very often very successful, but mm-hmm. it's, you don't see it all the time. Like That was a ballsy move now, and it, it would have been a ballsy move back in 1969. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, even the Bond films after this, it's always like, oh, Bond kills the villain, and gets the villain and then he gets the girl and they lived happily ever after mm-hmm. yeah i think that's why this is one of my favorite bond movies because i'm probably a very morbid person and this is how normally things turn out in life yeah. and this this was more relatable to me than any of the other ones yeah it's uh i i think it's the metaphor there as well it's like he he lives a life of essentially legal crime mm-hmm. he's a secret agent he murders for a living mm-hmm. and to think that you can just step away from that get married and just have a normal life again mm-hmm. you, you don't get out of that world once you're in it you're in it mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the breaking bad reference like once you're in the game you're in the game yeah. Like whether it's right now or years later when you have the kids and then all your kids get murdered too. Yeah. There's no guarantee you're out, out. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was it was a great movie. Uh, let's 
move on to <laughs> the next couple, Our, I would say, uh, about Roger Moore movies. I don't have much to say about this one other than just complaints. <laughs> we, uh, did 19- we watch two movies of his? or Just, just one. Okay. The only one that we watched two of was Sean Connery, uh, Sean Connery okay. just because they were highly rated. Okay. Um, but yeah, The Spy Who Loved Me, 1977, also a very popular film amongst Bond fans. I think I can speak for both of us in saying neither one of us really enjoyed this film at all. Yes. It felt bloated, over the top, about as campy and tropey and of a Bond. And you don't like the Bond character because there's nothing like really likable about that I, character. I mean, we didn't. We certainly didn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell people don't watch this movie, but I guess we'll explain why we didn't like it. And if you're in the same mindset we are, you probably won't like it either. Honestly, I don't even remember too much about the movie. You know, it was nothing remarkable. They had that weird octopus lab. It looked like an octopus. The, yeah. the water lab. Yeah. Kind of came up from the ocean. Yeah. Uh, we got to see a shark death. Yes. That was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Was I it? That wasn't the shark. That wasn't Timothy Dalton's. There was a shark death in this one as well, I remember. He had the tank. They didn't show it. It went off camera. Oh, okay. But, yeah, he had the platform. This is also another thing I think they pulled in for Dr. Evil's mm. lab. He pushed the button. Someone falls through a trap oh, yes. door. Yes. They're in the tank with the yep. shark. And yep. then right before the shark's about to eat him, he switches the screen. And yep. they can't see it anymore. Yep. Uh, Dalton's film, though, when we did see the shark death, or what we thought was a shark death, uh, they didn't pan away. Yeah. We saw most of it. Yeah. But, but spy- anyways, coming back to uh, the spy who loved me... Uh, Anything that stood out for you in that movie? This is supposed to, I think it was this movie and one of his others that are the quintessential Roger Moore Bond films. And it just didn't, it didn't hit anything for me. I, I, I was watching it. Yeah, there was some gadgetry. There was some sequences, I guess, that could be cool. But I just never felt connected to what was happening in the movie. Which is a shame because they had some cool characters. I think this is the one that had uh, the character Jaws. Had yes. the fucking metal teeth. Mm-hmm. Such a, I mean, continuing in the tradition like Goldfinger established with the cartoonish uh, henchman. Mm-hmm. Like he had fucking metal teeth and he could bite through just about anything. Yep. Um, the villain was pretty damn good. Uh, Carl Stromberg, played by Kurt Jungens. Jungens. He is a megalomaniac planning to trigger World War III to, and destroy the world. Then create a new civilization underwater. It's like, that's a pretty cool concept. Uh, just, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't, I felt, I, I kept catching myself looking at my phone. I wasn't enthralled with what was happening on I screen. I asleep at some point. It just, I, I don't know. It just, it felt too bloated. And this is a problem I had with some of the later Bond films. Uh, like the newer, the new, new ones. It just felt like there's too much happening. Which, Going back to Sean Connery, sometimes it's nice to just kind of slow down and digest a scene. Like, we get so used to watching good TV shows, and you see something like The Spy Love Me. It's just, like, adrenaline to the max, except I don't care. Yeah. Like, there was nothing that connected me to the characters. Mm. Like, the thing I loved with the last movie, it felt like a mystery as well. Mm-hmm. We didn't entirely know what the hell the mission was. Mm-hmm. It kind of unveiled itself slowly, yeah. but it didn't feel overwhelming. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a good Bond movie. Like it had everything, I guess, formula wise. But I, I didn't even really like 
Roger Moore's portrayal too much of it. He mm-hmm. he felt too superficial. Mm-hmm. He's just he was probably the most playboyish out of all the Bonds. Maybe I mean, that's I, why the men liked him back in the day. Probably. I mean, he was just banging every woman he talked to, pretty much. There was no actual connection. I don't think he even made himself vulnerable at all. Uh, he was old. He was old as shit. He was 50 when yeah. he made this movie. That's very old. In comparison, wasn't Sean Connery like 30? 30-something, yeah. Yeah, he's just 30, I think, for the first movie mm-hmm. um, that we watched. Um, I don't know. Who was the henchman for this? I already said... Uh, Jaws. Jaws, but was he even... I didn't see how he was connected, though, with the main villain. He was his in his um, in his troop okay. thing. Yeah. So he kept seeing them, but they didn't really establish mm-hmm. that until later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Money Penny returned. You had M. Bernard Lee again. Desmond Lewins. He's always my favorite in his movies. He's like that funny old man that mm-hmm. just has a quip. It's like, you know, Bond, make sure you bring this back in one piece. And then Bond would retort with some witty witticism and, mm-hmm. and then Q would be all pissed off and mm-hmm. that was that I don't know I didn't I, I don't even have any memorable moments from this movie other than Jaws he was probably my my other favorite bit even then I still like Dodd Job better than I like Jaws yeah. I don't know yep all uh, right moving uh, on to yeah, the fuck next that, one fuck that movie <laughs> Moving on to the next one. All right. This was Timothy Dalton's second uh, Bond portrayal and final in License to Kill in 1989. Um, now, his movies weren't as successful as the Roger Moore movies, though Roger Moore's was starting to taper off in the later ones anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a budget of $32 million, which compared to from Russia, it's mm-hmm. quite a bit more. Only grossed $156 million, which is just slightly more than what Gold... Finger made with mm-hmm. a $3 million budget. Just kind of... I mean, I could kind of see why people were thinking 007 was fading off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I really like this portrayal of this in this movie. I think he was one of the most agile Bonds ever. Well acted as well. Well acted, yes. And he, had, he also had a lot of um, character depth, I think. He um, felt like a Bond. He did. Felt like a Bond. He did. It didn't feel like this invincible character all the time. He felt gritty. He felt like he was in danger at times mm-hmm. compared yeah. to Roger Moore where it's just like, oh, I'm Bond. I can do anything. Whatever. Yeah. It was yeah. like Roger Moore was cocky, you know, and this one seemed more real. Yeah. He was definitely a little more reckless too, but that was also due to the vengeance plot, mm-hmm. his buddy. Mm-hmm. And his... This one also had a very strong plot as to what would motivate Bond to go to such extreme lens. Yeah. You know, even at the, uh, I guess, you know, he was stripped off his title and stuff, and he still he went, went... Yes, he went rogue, and that that was very riveting. So it, it opened with the sequence where he was going to a wedding down in Florida with his buddy. Uh, what the fuck? He is a... Not Milton Crest. Lighter. The hell? Lighter, lighter, lighter. Lighter. He's also the character that's returning in the new Bond film coming out in 2020. Where the hell is this character at? Felix Lighter. There he is. This is a recurring character in the Bond films, but it's always like a different actor, which mm-hmm. is odd to me. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, he's an old friend of Bond's. He was getting married. Uh, on their way to the wedding, they get word that Sanchez is in the neighborhood. He finally left his fortress, and this is the one chance that they have to capture him. Mm-hmm. So they ditch going to the wedding initially, go capture, sat, capture Sanchez. Um, then Sanchez eventually escapes because he has an army of people. He was saying that he'll give $2 million to anybody that helps him escape. So, mm-hmm. of course, one of the police officers goes rogue and helps him escape. Mm-hmm. After he escapes, he ends up killing uh, Leiter's wife, mm-hmm. now right wife. Right after the wedding. And uh, leaving Felix in a very life-threatening state. I thought he was going to be dead. Yeah, but he got his legs chopped off by a shark. But they magically grow back in later movies. So I guess this isn't in the same universe. Um, but yeah, that that's what kind of sets off the the next moments. Mm-hmm. 007 finds Felix in that state and the wife dead. Apparently he had some sort of connection with the wife. I don't know why he would get that upset unless mm-hmm. he knew her better than Maybe there was more of a relationship in the previous movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that pisses him off. He goes rogue, goes down to South America to kill Sanchez. And actually had a very intricate way of getting to him. Mm-hmm. Like he was making Sanchez suspicious of all the people around him. Mm-hmm. And he would slowly kill off. Sanchez would pretty much kill off the people around him. So the dirty work was just being done by Sanchez yeah. himself. It was, it was a lot more intricate. It wasn't like Bond shows up to the facility, kills everybody, and then wins. Mm-hmm. It was it was cool. Yeah. We also had a nice surprise performance by uh, Benicio Del Toro. Yes. Very young. Yes. I don't know how old he was at this point. It was, what, 1989? Let me tell you real quick. He would have been, shit, 22. Wow. 22 years old in that movie. Wow. And this was also the movie uh, last performance by Q and I'm wondering if that's why they let him do so much Mm, maybe because he was out on the field he showed up down in South America to bring James Bond some tools and gadgets and shit and he Mm -hmm. ends up actually helping him out during some of these uh, missions Mm -hmm. which I believe is a first and if I'm wrong hopefully someone lets me know because there's a lot of other Bond movies we didn't watch but it seems like in all the other ones he just gives them the gadgets at at the office Mm -hmm. And then you don't see him again for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But this one, he was very active, very yep. integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. It was I like lo- Bond had a friend. Yeah. He had someone to have his back. Yeah. Other than the Bond girls. Now, we forgot the most important thing I think you enjoyed about this movie. The Bond girl. Yes. Uh, Pam Bouvier, played by Carrie Lo- Lowell. She was an ex-army pilot and a CIA informant. What would you like to say about her? I think she was pretty uh, badass because not only was she, uh, you know, uh, smart, but she was also, you know, she had a whole backlog of like experience she brought with her and helped out Bond in so many different situations. Uh, and they didn't they- actually sleep together until the end of the movie. Yes. Which was... A nice change. Yes. Did he sleep with any women leading up to that? Yes. Who? Uh, Sanchez's girlfriend. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yep. All right. Well, at least that was part of the mission. That was... He was getting information. Yep. Uh, But... 
Yeah, she was definitely a refreshing Bond girl. Mm-hmm. And you could tell the the change in direction trend-wise that they were having for these roles. They were getting more and more competent. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I, I still feel like the earlier Bond girls, they were more towards the sex side. They still had something going on, but she was probably the first one where her competency... She, they showed her, you know, yeah. what her competencies were. Yeah. And the relationship that she... Or the feelings that she developed for Bond... Was over the course of the movie and not just like... Yeah. And like how many times they saved each other. She saved him. He saved her. Yeah. I, I could see a relationship actually be built that way. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I enjoyed the movie. I'm sad that he only had two portrayals of this. I would still like to go back and watch his other movie. I heard the plot for that one was even better. Okay. This one was much more action oriented. Um, like you mentioned, the action sequences didn't feel cheesy and corny. Mm-hmm choreography felt pretty good yeah um yeah pretty good i would definitely recommend this anyone that liked goldeneye would definitely like this movie gritty probably the best acted bond mm-hmm. acting wise he is a very good actor yeah. Uh, yeah anything else you want to say about it or no let's move on to the next one yes goldeneye <laughs> probably one of the most famous bond movies Though, ironically, not considered a classic Bond film amongst Bond fanboys. Well, it's a very grand plot. I think Goldeneye yeah. has like one of the grandest plots. Uh, we also see Pierce Brosnan as uh, the Bond in this movie. For the first time. For the first time. Um, it was, he was definitely the most handsome Bond we've ever had. So. Though he still had some chest hair. He did have some chest hair. Well, yeah. Yeah. Still had the chest hair. With clothes on, I guess he's... He's definitely the most handsome Bond there. Uh, But Pierce Brosnan was less... like It seemed like he was less action-oriented than Timothy Dalton was. Which is a shame. Yes. And uh, he was more of like, I think, you know, gadgets guy than action i would say and there was also the first movie where we had another agent that had gone rogue as the villain as well yes yep that was uh sean bean as 006 yes um just a piece of advice if you're going to have a plot twist like they had in this movie uh probably don't put that character's or the actor's name at the beginning of the credits (laughs) that kind of throws it away that he's going to return so if you kill a character off in the first five minutes and it's one of the first names that pops up, you know he's going to have a bigger role than what he had. Though I already knew what was going to happen. But do you see this one thing, though? Like in the Bond thing, I think they have the names, the, the credits in the beginning of the movie. But whereas a lot of Bollywood, I mean, Hollywood movies don't have that. Like with the opening sequence? Yeah, yeah it's like a very Bond thing to do. Yeah. I think people, I, I mean, people look at a Bond film and that's one area where they actually critique the film. Yeah. Not even just the film, but like how, hey, how good was the opening credit scenes yeah. sequence? Yeah. Because you don't see that in other Hollywood movies. It's normally at the end, you know, there's like end credits. Not often. There yeah. are some movies like Zombieland had theirs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a stylistic choice for yeah. what you're going for at the movie. Sometimes it'll kill the momentum of the film. Mm-hmm. Like this, the Bond films don't start off right away with that. They mm-hmm. have some scenes that kind of establish the tension for the film going forward. And then they have the sequence mm-hmm. 
and then it usually jumps the bond mm -hmm. wherever the hell he's at. Um, yeah. But yeah, so you have Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, Sean Bean, 006, Alec. Uh, this is the first movie that actually had Judy Dench as M. Yep. She became a mainstay in the film until the franchise until Skyfall. Yep. Um, Q was played. Oh, he is still in the movie. He he wasn't. 1989 was not his last one. He's he was in this again as Q. And we had Funke, Funky Jansen as, as on a top. On a top. Uh, Xenia on a top. And who was the. Oh, the, the Bond girl was We had played. Boris and we had Natalia. Yes. Oh, we didn't even mention the general as well. Uh, I can't. Turkey Kario as Russian defense minister. <laughs> oh, no, that was Michigan. Asimov or whatever his name was. Uh, Aramov. 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 Something like that. Sounds right. Oh, and Boris, you recognize, was Alan Cumming. Cumming. Yeah. Was he in? He was in Spy Kids, and he had some other roles as well. He was the villain in that one as yeah. well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very young guy that likes to twiddle his pen around when he's doing secret coding. As far as all the movies that we watched, I, I felt that this one definitely had the most memorable characters. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because this one wasn't actually based on one Bond book. Mm -hmm. Though this was actually based more on the Ian Fleming than I thought. Yeah. Uh, we'll get that at the end. Just the characters were, I don't know, I liked all of them. Yeah. Like, they didn't, I mean, the, even the way they dressed them. Mm -hmm. Like, Boris had that quirky, almost Hawaiian t-shirt or mm -hmm. that button-up shirt. Mm -hmm. Natalia had the very distinct accent. Mm -hmm. Also, was a very competent character as a programmer. You know, the other really cool fact about this movie is that there is no sex scenes in the beginning of the movie. They no. don't have sex at I, I think until the last scene. I mean, actually, they don't even have sex. They don't even have sex. Oh, they get interrupted. Yes. So there is no sex. No. Mm -hmm. There is no sex. Scene. But they did return to that trope of Bond meets girl and then they're already in love five minutes later, which kind of got annoying. It doesn't. But he meets Natalia and all of a sudden she has feelings with him the next time she sees him. No. Yeah. No. When they were in the jungle, they start kissing. Yes, true. Yes, you're right. You're and right. then I thought it was right after the train. It's like they barely knew each other up to that point. Right. And yep. like magically, well, I guess he did save her life. Yeah. So you had that point of like, oh, they were going through an adversity together. So they were going to. Yeah. I guess that makes a little more sense. But still, it's like they, they did that in so many of the other movies. Where it's, it was kind of refreshing in the previous movie. It took them the course yeah. of the whole film yeah. to actually get to that point. Um. Obviously, this movie had a lot of over-the-top moments. The like famous, driving the tank? The fucking tank, and then you just see Pierce Brosnan unnecessarily sticking his head out. I'm pretty sure there's a little window you can drive with. Yeah. Pretty sure. But, but obviously, you have to show his beautiful face. Just like destroying a, this beautiful Russian uh, city, I believe, with St. Petersburg. Uh, just destroying all these buildings. <laughs> just plowed right through. This is one... Now, if anyone complained about this being sexist, two things. You had Q that was, or M. She was criticizing him as being like a relic of the Cold War past. And mm -hmm. it's just like an old, typical masculine stereotype. Mm -hmm. So you, you definitely he said He said, you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. And then he, he replied, point taken. Yes. <laughs> so there was obvious tension there. 
Um, the henchman in this, she was pretty fucking badass. Yeah. She's killing people with her legs and she would oh. moan while she was. It was like pure jujitsu. Yeah. She really enjoyed it too. She would kind she would of get off of that. She would uh, trick the guys into thinking that this is just her kink and then they're dead. Yeah. She's like a black widow. Um, she was she was great. I forgot she was even in this movie. It's probably because I didn't actually watch this movie throughout. Um, Sean Bean, obviously excellent as 006. He seemed to be more like that creepy nerdy kid in school that never got action when he was young. And Revenge then, of the nerds. Yeah, he gets power and then he thinks he can just move in on Bond's girl and then Bond still kills him anyways. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just fun movie to watch. I felt mm-hmm. had a little bit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though nice. the soundtrack felt a little weak. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any memorable music. Yeah. Did have some tracks that were used in the video game though. Uh, just to want to tie in what I was talking about, how this ties in with Ian Fleming. So apparently there isn't when Ian Fleming was a naval officer. Uh, he's actually a commander. It was called Operation Goldeneye. It was an Allied plan during the Second World War to monitor Spain after a possible alliance between Francisco Franco and the Axis powers and to undertake sabotage operations. It was formed by Commander Ian Fleming of the Naval Intelligence Division, NID. Uh, no German takeover of Spain took place nor an invasion of uh, Gilter. Gilbertar? Is this right? Gibraltar? Gibraltar. Yes. I can't talk today. Gibraltar. Sorry. And the plan was shelved in 1943, but he later used it for his home, his Jamaican home where he wrote the James Bond stories. So cool. it almost seemed like this movie is a bit of an homage to mm. the late Ian Fleming. And Ooh. also, fun fact, he died actually, I think, before... His best movies were even made. He died in 1964. Wow. So, That's came cool. Much more of a legend after. Mm-hmm. I guess he might have been still alive for Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Let me see when that came out. Uh, actually, no. He was dead before Goldfinger even came out. Wow. That was later in 1964. He died in August. A couple months later, he could have at least seen that movie. Yes. Um, it's kind of wild. Any other thoughts about Goldeneye or... Uh, you know, it was, it was all, I understand it was all those missile strikes and stuff that was probably going on during that time, the scare of missile strikes. The first post-Soviet movie. Yes. Soviet Union had been extinguished. Though yeah. the intro sequence when we see 006 die, yeah. we thought died, that was right before the Soviet Union collapsed. That was nine years prior, so that right. would have been 1986, Right. I believe. Um, but then everything after that was after the Soviet Union collapsed mm-hmm. and the Russian government's kind of dealing with defectors. Yeah. And it's definitely a lot more fractured than in previous movies where the Russian menace was much more unified. Yeah. So it was, I thought it was kind of cool how they scripted according yeah. to current events. Yeah. yeah. Definitely recommend anyone wants to watch a good Bond film. It's very Bond, yeah. for sure. I would recommend this any day over any Roger Moore movie. Oh, yes. Definitely. Not just because this is the Bond I grew up on, but it was out of even Pierce Brosnan's movies. Mm-hmm. Recommend this any day over the later ones. Okay, well, time for the last 
movie that we watched. It was the first entry by Daniel Craig in 2006 with Casino Royale. Um, I I remember very distinctly. I had a debate with one of my friends about uh, this the the character of Bond in this movie, and you know why I felt that Daniel Craig, you know, was. I mean, definitely he's not the quintessential Bond guy, but how he brought out a different dimension in this character for Bond, and they were, you know someone else kind of arguing about how like he here Daniel portrayed Bond as a very weak vulnerable character compared to you know all the other Bonds like you know all the like crazy stuff that Bond does Daniel really didn't do much of the crazy stuff here he was more grounded yes he was more real I, I would say a, a more like a real spy than you know this over stuff the top stuff that would actually happen yeah an yeah. over the top you know where this is probably the also the one of the first movies where they show Bond tortured as well, mm-hmm. which is a very common thing with spies as well. After this is over, everyone's going to know that you scratch my balls. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very entertaining movie. Uh, I thought craftsmanship-wise, it was very well made. Cinematography was amazing. Fun fact: this is the same director who did GoldenEye, same cinematographer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they haven't done a bond since. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was kind of interesting. I could kind of see some hints in Goldeneye for what they ended up doing in Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Like the in Goldeneye. Shots. Yeah, a lot more close up shots. Yeah. It felt like they were a little more creative with their camera angles. Mm-hmm. They kind of did that a little bit in Honor Majesty's Secret Service with the cinematography much more than the previous movies. Mm-hmm. But then it seemed like with the Roger Moore movies, they just kind of threw. Uh, art out the window it's like hey let's blow shit up this movie definitely came back to a artistic approach with its cinematography Mm -hmm. camera angles kind of let scenes develop between characters Mm -hmm. even if it's just stare-offs characters are all well very well written yeah Uh, another good bond girl very different bond girl like this was you know, I would say one of the strongest Bond Bond girls we've had. Yeah. Also, was uh, a betrayal for Bond. Yeah. So that was kind of refreshing. Actually, watching after watching all the other ones, it was kind of nice to see the Bond girl herself be the one that was pretty much the villain all along. She's not the villain though, but you know, kind of who betrayed Bond. Yeah, it wasn't. It was another one of those not happily ever after. Mm-hmm. They could have went the route of Honor Majesty's Secret Service if they would have just left the movie off when he saw her die mm-hmm. in the elevator. Mm-hmm. But instead you get the Bond, James Bond at the very end. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's fine, though. I feel that kind of probably motivated Bond to get back on track because he had already resigned you know so it was like oh this is my life you know i can't i can't have an ending this this can't i don't have a happy ending yeah although the one grievance i do have out of this movie despite the great action sequences and cinematography is beautiful as we've mentioned and his act he was definitely one of the most best uh, best acted bonds Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I don't know how much I want to credit him versus just modern filmmaking, which allows an actor to really express things that maybe they couldn't couldn't have done in the 60s. But I didn't understand why he was such a burnout already. He literally just got double O status. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much the single O status or whatever the previous agent rank, what they do, but it seems like double O's are the ones that really go out on the field and carry out tasks. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the, the guy that got killed at the intro sequence or the other agent, mm-hmm. I'm assuming he must have been what uh, James was previously. Mm-hmm. But why was he such a burnout already? It's his first movie. Yeah. He just started as double O. They literally explained that in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. He just got promoted. Yeah. That didn't make much sense to me. Yeah. True. Like, that would have made more sense for, like, the newest movie that's coming out where mm-hmm. he's, like, tired of doing this shit. He's getting older. Yeah. And I don't know. I guess it wouldn't make sense then for the story that they wrote. Yeah. For him to want to just retire. But I don't know. That I, I think this plot would have been better for a later at least that angle would have been better for a later film. Mm-hmm. They could have did everything else, just cut out the romance stuff and the retirement stuff. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's a minor gripe because I'm sure the other movies are filled with <sighs> lunacy. A lot more, yeah. One thing which was very interesting in this movie is that we don't even have like a crazy villain in this movie. No, there is no like you know the the characteristic evil villain. Is not there in this movie. The movie as a whole got much more grounded. Like even the villain was very real. You could tell that it was, you know, someone who has gambled away a lot and yeah. needs money, and this is their only way, only chance to win, and they're going to do anything possible just to get the money. This movie actually, looking back, this actually had some parallels, villain-wise, with Goldfinger. Mm. But... In this movie, he was actually his life. His own life was at stake, and eventually gets killed by mm-hmm. the other villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Goldfinger, he was also in debt mm-hmm. to other people, but he was in complete control of that situation yeah. and ended up killing all mm-hmm. the people he owed money to. Yep. I thought that was. An, I, I'm wondering if they kind of drew off of that. It's like, hey, how could we take that dynamic and mm-hmm. twist it a little bit? Mm-hmm. And now we have a villain that's not the big baddie, mm-hmm. but he's the one that we're introduced to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if we're going to talk about Casino Royale and the change of tone, we should mention that this is the post-Born movie era. And that movie was a raving success. I, I, I don't even know how to explain how big of the movie this was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of blew the Bond movies out of the water when it came out. And even though the later Bond movies continued to make money, I think the Born movies are making... I think the third one made a billion dollars. Wow. I actually haven't watched the Bourne movies, so I think we should definitely do that. You yeah. should rewatch it with me. Oh, I gladly. It's been a long time since I watched it, but you'll see why uh, it was so popular. Just the way it was written, it's, I, I think I described it to you before we went on air. It's like James Bond, but there's a couple differences. Mm-hmm. He's not after women. Like, he does eventually sleep with a woman, but that's he develops a relationship with the person. He's not just shacking up. He's not a playboy. Mm-hmm. Secondly, instead of working for the government, the government's after him. Mm-hmm. So that adds a totally different dynamic. It's more of like a survival thriller in a way because mm-hmm. he's always on the edge of his own seat. Mm-hmm. And as an audience member, 
you're watching this and you're on the edge of your seat because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like he's never, he's never in a very advantageous position like Bond is. Mm-hmm. Bond always shows up to a mission. He's armed with the newest car, newest gadget, mm-hmm. weapons, often has reinforcements. And even when he doesn't, he's James Bond. You know he's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But you never know how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So, yeah, it was it – was, there are very few movies, I think, that can just change the direction of a whole genre like mm-hmm. this movie did. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if we were bigger film historians, we'd be able to look back on what movies did that. Like Goldfinger obviously did that for the rest of the Bond movies all the way up through Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And even Casino Royale still has a similar framework mm-hmm. to what was established in Goldfinger, mm-hmm. as I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but stylistically, it's so many of the movies like Taken – came out after that yep uh jason statham movies were pretty damn gritty when they came out uh, even jet lee's movies uh, after the born identity came out they got a lot grittier a lot darker mm-hmm. uh, john wick wouldn't be a thing i don't think if born identity wasn't a movie mm-hmm. um trying to think of some others pretty much all the all the action movies mm-hmm. that you knew post 2002 Got the roots in this movie. Cool. So, okay. Thanks. Something to watch. Thanks, Matt Damon. And all. What's great is all three movies are great. Mm. It's not like one. Th- oh, just watch the first. That's the best one. They're all fucking good. Mm. Okay. The first one, he actually did most of his stunts. I think by the third movie, he did maybe about half of them. Like he definitely cut back on the stunts. He just said his body was wearing down. Cool. He's not as badass as uh, Keanu Reeves. In that front awesome we should we should definitely watch that yeah but uh yeah any final thoughts on casino royale before we finish Uh, this episode i think it was definitely the most stylistic bond film that we've watched i'm i know skyfall has a different um you know approach to the filmmaking as well but so far uh what we have watched i felt casino royale was definitely very stylistic uh uh, it was also very diverse in its portrayal of characters and uh, it had a concrete plot and kind of straightforward straightforward and gives momentum to the later Bond movies as to why Bond would continue working in Bond. Yeah. I was definitely confused why they were so worried about the $120 million towards the end. Like it was the end of the world. It's like, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Anyways, just in summation, uh, any overall thoughts about after watching seven fucking Bond movies? I think we should have a female Bond <laughs> at some point. You know, I am so I I know I know what a lot of people are gonna say. Like, oh, why? Why do you have to like you know change the thing? This is just a character and stuff. But I just think maybe like having a female Bond with their own um, characteristics and not like just emulating the male bonds would be kind of nice as to how a woman would deal in such situations yeah because we have so many so many female spies throughout the history we've had a lot of female spies that we have and we kind of it would, a lot of cool stories that should be told yeah and it would be kind of nice to hear from their perspective what they had to deal with uh being spies yeah well it's a good reason to watch the next bond film because the there is a female double O agent, mm-hmm. also a black woman. Looks like she's going to do a very good job portraying this character. I hope hope I'm right on that. But 
maybe that'll open doors for female-led spy movies that aren't just over-the-top action movies, but mm-hmm. actual spies. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't I disagree. I, I mean, this character's been played to death in just about every way imaginable. Um, I mean, like, adding a new dimension would definitely be, a, a, you know, add yeah. some sort of new perspective. And maybe the compromise is don't call her James Bond. You mm-hmm. can still have the MI6 universe. You can still yeah. have these characters, but maybe just have a movie where there's another character. It doesn't have to be James Bond, mm-hmm. or you don't have to go the corny route, Jane Bond. Mm-hmm. Like that would be Jane Bond. Like people, it's like watching the Ghostbusters and you ignore all the previous. It, it wouldn't make yeah. any sense. Oh yeah, like don't have her create Bond, an actual but, new yeah. character mm-hmm. that has her own quirks. Like oh, she doesn't have to be a man loving kind of promiscuous i mean she can be if they want but i don't think they have to create a female version of what James exactly Bond. they can create whatever they want with her exactly i mean there are so many examples to look at you know yeah. in the history just just draw inspiration from that i agree i am looking forward to this next movie after watching seven bond films maybe we'll get around to watching skyfall because i know you haven't watched that mm-hmm. um but i think i'm bonded out until November, which I believe that's when the next one's coming out. Okay. So maybe we'll get born again <laughs> before then. Uh, yeah. With yeah. Uh, the born movies, Matt Damon. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but anyways, I think that's all we have to say about that. Uh, thank you for listening to our James Bond special. Zero zero seven. Shaken, not, not stirred. stirred. You have been listening to the Simba Dialogues. Until next week, thank you. Bye-bye.